This is No Stop Lights with Ken Ard. Thank you for finding us again. No Stop Lights. I want to thank our sponsors, Pepsi of Florence, Carolina Bank, Mickey Finns, Marlboro PD Electric Co-op, Francis Marion University, McLeod Health, McCall Farms, Victor's PLC Commercial. I feel like when I read these sponsors at the beginning of the podcast, I'm not doing our sponsors justice. I want you to understand that what we're doing here is, is an attempt, and it's a very feeble attempt. And it's not just a podcasting. We are in partnership uh, with these sponsors. Francis Marion University has allowed us to have a dedicated space on their uh, downtown campus. We are involving interns. I mean, with experiential learning, experience-based education. Uh, this is, I mean, it, it's kind of a convergence of um, uh, an attempt to educate students about the real world. I have no ability to be professorial or to be tutorial. I mean, you, you know enough about me by now, if you're familiar with what we do to know that I, I don't have the capacity to teach and lecture and educate. I do have, I think, a vast understanding of the world. And it's a little bit like the Roddy Dangerfield scene in the movie, uh, Coming to America and the Economics or Business Class. The professor is at the whiteboard and he's talking about a percentage of this and a margin of that and a percentage of that. And, uh, and Rodney Dangerfield goes back to school late in life after being successful in business, says, where are you going to build that business, on Mars or on the moon, uh, one or the other? And he talks about some of the real world uh, issues that are involved in trying to make something something work. So we're trying to be, um, I, don't, I, I, I mean, I guess educational to some degree about what's happening in our community, what's happening in our world, what's happening in our in our region politically, um, sports-related, culturally, societally. Um, and these sponsors are such stalwarts of our community that they have um, agreed, and I went and visited every single one individually, and they've agreed to be a part of this. They believe it's in um, their best interest to try and conduct and and do business in a in a in a community that is vested that that understands where its future lies and how do we get better and I do believe that having some of these conversations are important uh, educating young people very important I'm teaching a young person that the world doesn't always work like the classroom um, and and how to adapt and adjust when life throws you a curveball so so once again when I say Pepsi of Florence when I say Carolina Bank when I say Mickey Fans, when I say Marlboro Pity Electric Co-op, Francis Marion University, McLeod Health, when I say McCall Farms and Victors and PLC um, Commercial, I want you to understand they're not advocating my opinion. They're, they're not agreeing with everything I say. They're not disagreeing with everything I say. They're not curtailing some of my comments. They're not um, uh, they're not amplifying some of what I say here. These companies are dedicated to our community. And we are trying to make our community a better place. We live in somewhat of a news desert in Florence, in the PD region of South Carolina. The, the enormous growth along the coast has forced some of the media outlets to consider that a more lucrative opportunity. I think we all understand uh, the way the free market works, and media is no different than that. So No Stop Lights is a, um, is a podcasting endeavor in conjunction with Francis Marion and these other sponsors. And, and I'll give you a pledge. Um, I didn't know much about radio, but we built a radio show with a large following. We're going to do the same here uh, with, with our podcasting efforts. But I want you to understand it's not about views. It's not about clicks. Not about, it's about 
trying to improve the life and lot of a community by having a very genuine conversation about things that that matter enormously. Um, we're doing a lot of different sorts of podcasting. We did one with County Council Chair William Schofield. Did one with um, uh, a, a local attorney, resident historian Ben Ziegler. Uh, ben and I have talked since the Francis Marion podcast about potentially doing a Road to the Revolution series. Um, you know, pre-revolutionary war, the, the colonial days, and, and and what led the colonists to consider, you know, taking on the greatest army in the history of of mankind at the time. So, so we've got a lot of things in store. We have some autonomy of this experience, experiment. So, um, but but I, I just don't want to read names off a sheet of paper. I want you to listen and understand how critically important these companies are, not to this small attempt in media, but rather the community. Uh, at large, I want to I want to delve into state politics for a second, but I want to get a bit philosophical. I, I guess I'll wax philosophically here, and, and I want to take two words. I got the words written down on one of these pages over here. Um, they say podcasting is informal, so I should be pretty good at at podcasting because I'm about as informal as they come. Um, there's been a there, there's been a I, I don't know a, a generational multi generational debate. Um, we're talking about the revolution. So when the revolution was won by the colonists and America became an independent nation, there was a fundamental debate to begin with about what the function of government is to be. What is the role of government? We've had that debate since 1776. Uh, well, I mean, a little later than that. 1776 would be the Declaration of Independence. Um, 1789, I hope I'm right there. 1780-something or other is when the constitutional conventions were held, and we adopted a constitution. So the constitution, from my perspective, was it, it was intentionally designed to protect people from its government. Um, the majority of rights, the majority of, of liberties came from, and I'm talking about prior to the American Revolution, prior to the Constitution, prior to the Declaration of Independence, the majority of rights human beings had were granted. I mean, they were given to you by a dictator, by a king, by a monarch. Along comes America and an experience or experiment in self-governance. Um, now it, it, it had to have consent. The consent is the, the casting of a ballot. Um, this person gets more votes than this person qualifies this person to, uh, have the consent of the consented to, to be in charge, to make policy, to drive an agenda, to address issues, uh, in, in the public interest. So we've had this age old fundamental debate about the, the role of government. What is the role of government? Liberals tend to believe uh, the role of government needs to be expanded. You've got all these socioeconomic challenges. You've got all these dynamics that, um, and I'm talking about pre-Civil War, post-Civil War inequities, um, lack of inclusion, discrimination, um, stigmatizing, uh, preferential treatment, um, legacy students. I mean, it, 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 that, that debate knows no bounds. There is no end to that debate. It's a little bit like the galaxy. It goes on and on and on and on and on. So the liberal believes that since we have all these uncertainties in society, government needs to be the kind of the, the, the moral underpinning, the intellectual underpinning. Where, where do we go for answers? We go to the government. They're sympathetic to government making more good decisions than they are bad decisions. The conservative says, I don't know. 
I don't know if I trust that government. I think the, the founders intended government to be limited, to be very small and, and, and you know, not to be punitive, not to exercise its authority without some reason uh, as to why it's exercising its ability to, to, to have authority in the, in, the, in the business sector, the private sector, in, in academia, in, in road construction, in truck body manufacturing, in restaurant running. Um, and I'm thinking about all these government agencies that touch all our lives in so many different facts. I want to go at this from a little different angle. Big government liberal, limited government conservative. Now, but that, that's been... Once again, a multi-generational since the beginning of America. I mean, I'm thinking about the, the Hamiltonians, the Jeffersonians, um, and then you get post-Civil uh, War, and we have another debate about, you know, the fundamental role of government. But, but I want to take a particular issue, and I want to propose another conversation, and I'm not suggesting you land where I do. I mean, that, that's never been the intent of this podcast. I'm not here to indoctrinate. I'm not here to brainwash. I'm not here to lean on a group of individuals to feel as I do. But I'm, I'm very aggressive in giving my opinion, but I'm very unapologetic about giving my opinion. And I understand that when you have sponsors, that there, there's a, a certain beholdenness you have uh, to your sponsors. But I do believe that one of the great... Ah, one of the things America lacks most today is vigorous debate. There, there's, a, there's a consequence to giving a controversial opinion, and the nation was birthed on people giving controversial opinions and then going to war for that controversial opinion. But, but we seem to have conditioned ourselves to conform. Um, Americans, by and large, don't want much trouble. So if we go along and get along, we tend to end up on more committees, on more boards, and more prestigious positions. And I still believe that, that, that the American experiment requires aggressive and vigorous and heated and controversial and confrontational debate. Didn't say you had to like it. But for us to progress as a nation, for us to get to a better place as a nation, we can't all conform and do what we're told to do because somebody's gained authority or control or influence over a particular uh, part of the debate. So big government, liberal, limited government, conservative, uh, let, let's take that and kind of put it aside for a second. And, and let's use these words. There are people in America today that believe government can solve problems. It's a solution-based government. They are genuine. They're sincere. They are searching for aspirational government policy. They believe that this group and this group, if respectful of one another, can temper, moderate, um, find some common ground and move the country uh, to a better place. I don't know if we can do that. I mean, I, you know, I think about irreconcilable differences in a marriage. I think about incompatible ideologies in government. I mean, when one group gets so far over here, another group gets so far over here. Now, this group doesn't think they're far over there. This group doesn't think they're far over there. But this group thinks this group is crazy as hell and, and vice versa. And, and I'm trying to think of a very practical, reasonable way to address the debate we're having today. And there's a particular situation uh, that the General Assembly is dealing with. And I've read some of the commentary. I've read some of the narrative on Twitter, on Facebook, uh, in the media. 
And, and I've talked to some of the elected officials that have an opinion for and against. Uh, and, and it goes back to the debate about solution. The liberal believes, and I don't know where they get this. It may be some genetic bent they have. It may be shaped by the events and experiences in their life. It may be the dominant personal forces, a preacher, a teacher, a coach, a father, a mother, an older brother, an older sister. But that, that there's something that has happened in their lives that have influenced them to believe what they believe. Uh, and America allows you to believe what you believe. Over here, you've got the, these people who are skeptical of government. They're cynical about government. They don't trust government. I mean, I think they're every bit as genuine and sincere as this group is. They just have a different perspective. Um, they, they've learned that through the lessons taught to them by people they trust and admire, respect, and, and pay close attention to. These people believe. Now, now naturally, these people believe more that government is a solution. If there's a problem in the, in, in the country, we got to look to government to come up with some solution. This group believes that government is an enabler. It enables these situations to become bigger problems. And, and you know, the debt, if, if it costs a trillion dollars to, I mean, let's use a, a million. If it costs a million dollars to find a solution for this problem that liberals believe government is in, uh, is the only entity available to address the issue because it's so big, you can't go to business, you can't go to the church, you can't go to the Boy Scouts, can't go to the Girl Scouts. Here's government, big issue, big problem, government's got to solve it, takes a million dollars. This group believes that that million is spent to try to search for a solution enables this group to search for more solutions, $2 million worth of solutions, $3 million worth of solutions. So I want to give you an example of something that I've read a lot about in the General Assembly. And I mean, you can land where you choose to land. Um, it, it dawned on me when I was reading Twitter, scrolling through Twitter one day, X, I guess is what it's known as now. Um, one of the Democrat members of the House of Representatives of South Carolina said um, that if the governor doesn't take this nutritional funds, the funds to feed children in one of these school breakfast programs. I don't know the details. I'm not in Columbia. But but the disagreement is the governor doesn't want to take the money to fund the program that allows impoverished kids to be served breakfast on public school campuses in America. Um, the conservatives say, uh, that, that's government getting bigger. That's government enabling people to do other things. I read a quote by a Democrat member of the House that says, um, if the governor to take this money, we can't feed our children. That's odd. We can't feed our children. The, the conservative in me, what, what does that mean? We can't feed our children. I can't feed my child is the way I look at it. You know, our family can't sustain itself. But but once again, that they're they're looking for a solution. They're genuine. They're sincere. They're liberal. They're left of center. So their immediate impulse is to look for government to help feed our children. They're talking about the common good. They're talking about kind of a collective and, and somewhat socialist narrative. We can't feed our children. That's collectivism 101. The... the the conservative would say, well, I mean, it's not our job to feed our children. It's your job to feed your child, my job to feed my child. And, and this is where I think we can use government as, or I think I can prove, that government acts more as an enabler than it does a solution. I am not for hungry children. 
I am not for a kid going to school uh, impoverished. I'm not for a kid going to school malnourished. I'm not for a kid going to school um, where 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 his his personal situation finds him unprepared to to learn at a at a decent pace. So so I accept that we don't live in a perfect world, but we've got to have these debates, guys. We've got to have radical debates about American government, or we're going to continue to. I don't know, just have these on-the-edge debates. So so when the, when the Democrat says, we can't feed our children, yours truly as a conservative hears, that's, that's bordering socialism. I mean, I, I don't want a hungry child, but we can't feed our children. Is I don't relate to that. I can't feed my child. You have to figure out a way to feed your child. So at the General Assembly level, I, th- I think there's some federal money the governor can take or not take to help the liberal feed their children. Here's, here's where I want to go down the road of enabling. You can be liberal. You can be conservative. You can think a trillion dollars a year is too much uh, money to spend that we don't have. You can think it's not enough money to spend that we don't have. But there's no denying that government policy has incentivized single parents to have children. There's no denying that. I mean, you, you, there are there are a multitude of non-means-tested programs that financially reward a young female, and they're the only ones that can have babies today, maybe different tomorrow, but young females are paid by some government program to have a child and not get married. If they get married... I mean, you know, I think the child is better off. I think the woman's better off. But but that's not the world we live in. Once again, we don't live in this hypothetical, theoretical world. So, so the government, in its infinite wisdom, has subsidized, incentivized young women to have multiple children and not get married because if they get married, it's less financially advantageous as a result of that. That is indisputable. I mean, we can argue the programs are too big. We can argue the programs are not big enough. We can argue we streamline some of the programs. We can argue they're buying beer with the, with, with some of the EBT call. We can. Uh, there's a lot of places that debate can go, but it's indisputable that the federal government has incentivized young women to have children and not get married. If they get married, they lose some of the incentive. They lose some of the benefit of these, these government programs. So you've got single moms having children, and another child gives them more money, another child gives them less. And look, I'm not saying that um, this kind of person is having this kind of child or that kind of person is having that kind of child or, or you know, we, we got a kid's got to stop having kids. I mean, there's a, a lot of debates there. What I want to focus on is what I believe government has done in this particular situation to not be a part of the solution, but rather enable uh, behavior that costs more money in the long run. So, so a, a a young woman has a child. The young woman decides to not get married. The young woman comes out better financially by not getting married, so she has another child and another child and another child. She does not have the ability to care for those children, so the government kind of takes the place of the father. The government says, okay, there's not a dad here, so, so we'll give you X number of dollars for this child, X number of dollars for that child. Well, I mean, the child is, grows up to be seven or eight or nine or ten years old. It's off to school, and all of a sudden, teachers recognize that kids are coming to school malnourished. 
They're coming to school hungry. They're coming to school not ready to learn because they've not been properly fed. And the government believes all of a sudden it's their job to intervene in that scenario and say, okay, the mom has three kids. The teacher believes these three kids are coming to school without being properly nourished and they're not ready to learn. They're, they're falling behind. They're, you know, they're just, they're, they're, they're going to end up in a bad place if we aren't careful here. So the government believes, once again, they enabled the parent to have these children. They enabled um, the parent to collect funds for having these children. They incentivized the woman to not get married. Now the woman doesn't have the means to take care of the kids. She's got the money the government sends. So why isn't she taking care of the kids that the money the government spent? I don't know. Don't know the answer to that. Um, is, she, is she taking the food stamps or is she taking the, um, the financial assistance and buying cell phones or buying um, things? She, I, don't, I don't know. I'm not going there. I think we know some of that happens. I think you've got to be silly to not believe a lot of that happens. But all of a sudden, the same government, the exact same government that created the incentive for women to have a child knowing they couldn't take care of the child, so the taxpayer steps in, intervenes, and kind of takes that place. They, they, the same government now says these kids are coming to school hungry and, and they must be fed. We've got to do something about the children. We're doing this for the children. You're enabling. You enabled on this end, and you're enabling again. You're enabling a woman to send a kid to school knowing that it's not her responsibility to feed the kid because the government, because the school district, will do that. So, so when the Democrats say, I mean, the Republicans want hungry children, the, the Republicans want kids coming to school not able to learn, and then the Republicans will complain about proficiency scores and, and illiteracy and reading levels and all these other sorts of things. No, the fundamental disagreement that I think conservatives and Democrats, excuse me, conservatives and Republicans have today is the, the liberal still believes that government is aspirational, government is solution-oriented, that government is the vessel vehicle um, apparatus you look at when you identify a problem in society, but they enabled, they created the problem by incentivizing women to not get married, not have a nuclear family, have a kid, get a financial incentive, have another kid, get a more lucrative financial incentive, and then, I mean, the woman has an expectation. I mean, I'm not blaming the woman. I mean, the woman should have an expectation because the government has already said you can have these kids and not get married, and we'll make sure they're taken care of to some degree. I mean, they're not driving Rolls Royces. They're not uh, going on vacation south of France, but, but the taxpayer still funding the incentive the government has put in place to allow young females to have kids that they're probably better off not having. And if you incentivize that sort of behavior and the woman doesn't take the money and feed the child, because if you think about it, the taxpayer indirectly is sending money to the single mom to take care of the kid. The single mom may or may not be taking care of the kid, but in some cases they're obviously not because the kid's coming to school hungry. And because the woman is derelict in her responsibilities, the government looks to the taxpayer again, and liberals believe it's a solution when, in all honesty, the government is acting as the consummate enabler.